You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Have you ever hosted a family event or, or maybe some other big event? And uh, I mean, it's a big deal. Um, you know, you're all excited and you spent days cleaning. I mean, the house hasn't been this clean since the day you moved in it. And, um, you know, you've been cooking and getting ready, you know, and just this is big thing coming in and you're envisioning what it's going to be like. You're envisioning everyone's going to be there and you're envisioning conversations around the table and people interacting and just, just that time of being together is kind of what's happening in, you know, just being connected. And so the day finally arrives. You know, the day's here and everyone's there and they're showing up. And, but then you quickly observe that, you know, someone isn't feeling really well. And so they're just kind of sitting off in a corner by themselves. Um, and then someone else um, goes and turns on the TV and at a volume that really kind of drowns out conversations. And then the kids start fighting about something that's really insignificant, uh, but they're fighting over a toy or something, and that's going on. And then the others in the room really aren't even paying attention. They're all looking at their phones. Okay? Have you ever had that experience? I've actually encountered that very thing. But as you scan the room, what's going through your mind, because remember, you've just built this up. You've been planning for this, preparing for this. And, and all of a sudden you look at it and, and you realize that this isn't the way it was supposed to be. You know, and you look at, you look at, and, and you, what you want to say to everyone is, you're doing it all wrong. You know, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. It can be incredibly disheartening, can't it? Just like, ugh, so disappointing, so disheartening. I have absolutely no doubt that this is how God feels when he looks at us. I really do. Now think about it. We were made, we were created to be in perfect unity with God, weren't we? You get go back to the garden. I mean, there was the creation. It was God and us, and it was all together, and it was wonderful and perfect. And the Garden of Eden was a place of perfection. It was it was a wonderful thing. And Adam and Eve unfortunately messed that up in very short order. <clears throat> and because of their sin of disobedience, the unity with God was broken. We know that, and that's what the story is is about and and, and acts and or, I'm sorry acts in Genesis um, and we see that that whole relationship with God is broken but that's not the only thing that's broken our relationships our unity with one another was also broken when that happened if you notice that the first thing Adam does is he throws Eve under the bus if you remember the story God says All right, what happened what's going on you know he, something's not right here. And uh, Genesis 3, Adam literally says this, the woman you put here with me gave me the thing to eat. So not only does he throw Eve, he says, God, it's your fault. You put her here with me. So I'm, I'm innocent. I'm an innocent victim here. And again, I mean, the first thing he does is throw his wife under the bus. Um, and things just got worse from there. It really did. And Finally, God steps in and says, let me help you out. And that's where we get into the time of Moses and we see the Ten Commandments where he says, all right, here, let me give you some parameters, how you need to think about life and how to live life and interact. And if you ever look at the Ten Commandments, the first four of them talk about our relationship with God, how we're supposed to interact and relate to him. The final six are all about relationships with one another people, how we're to treat people, not to steal, we're not to kill, we're not to covet. I mean, all those things about how we relate with one another. And so things got better for a time, 
Um, but then realized that that's not working either. And so God stepped in again with the ultimate solution, sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And once and for all time, he restored the relationships that had been broken between us and him. And we could commune with God again, and his Holy Spirit resides within us. So that was, that was uh, restored and fixed and, and wonderful. And the thing is, though, even though it's, it's possible to have peace with God, it's, we still struggle with unity with one another. I can imagine God looking down on his creation, looking down on us, and he says, nations at war with each other. Needless death and destruction. He sees corporations acting in the best interest of the bottom line, rather than what's in the best interest of people. He sees people suing one another in court over just personal slights and grievances. Not to mention just the prevalence of acts of violence that we perpetrate against one another. I can imagine God looking on us and thinking, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. You're doing it all wrong. God's intent for all people was to live in unity. And I suspect what's particularly troubling to God is that even Christ followers don't always get it right. You would think that we, those who follow Jesus and pattern life of Jesus, would have our leg up, so to speak, in this area, but we really don't. There, uh, one author, Paul Bilheimer, made this quote. He said, The continuous widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of the ages. It has been Satan's master strategy. I think that's significant, recognizing, and we've talked about this before, that the, the things that have physical manifestations are not the issue. The issue is spiritual, and that we have, we have an enemy that is intentionally trying to destroy us. So the question for me is, why do we find unity so challenging? I mean, really, why is it, such a, why is it so hard sometimes? And honestly, I think a case could be made that part of it is God's fault. Part of it is, and it's this, and this fact of this, God in his creative bent made us all different. I mean, we are, we're all different. And, and, and the diversity and the creativity was amazing. But here's the thing, it, and I say this often, if you and I are together long enough, it's not a question of if I do something to hack you off, it's a question of when. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, and, I, and I, I say, but it, and it may be something as simple as, you know, what topping are we going to have on our pizza? You know, you know, hopefully we don't come to blows over that. But you understand that there's differences of opinion. We, we're going to disagree. We're going to have different priorities, different values, and all those things. And so the, that diversity is in and of itself going to create the potential for us to have conflict. And so, but here's the thing, though. The question isn't how do we get everyone to say and do and believe the same thing? You know, we don't want to get everyone these, um, the, the same things. We're all kind of robots, automatons, just saying and we're all the same. I think the question is, how can we have unity? How can we have unity in the midst of diversity? Can we have unity without uniformity? And can we have diversity without fragmentation? And I believe we can. I think we can. I think, though, it comes when we have unity, when we gather around the mission that Jesus gave us. That's what unites us. It's not the fact that we all think alike, we do the same things, we all feel alike. It's the fact that we all have the same purpose. We have the same mission. We're all part of the same team. That's what unites us and keeps us together. And I think that's why I'm convinced that unity within the body of Christ is at the top of God's priority list. 
I think this is something that's really critical for him. Now, if you remember in your story of Jesus and his accounts, and the night before his crucifixion, remember what's happening? He's actually in the upper room. He's having his last meal. Um, in fact, it literally is called the Last Supper. And he's interacting, talking with his disciples. And uh, throughout the course of the meal, me, the dinner, the meal, certain things, different conversations. And at one point, Jesus sends Judas, dispatches Judas, so, you know, go do what you're going to do. And Judas leaves and kind of gets things ready. And at the, after the meal's over, after they're done talking and sharing the meal, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives to pray. Again, this is the night before. So we're talking hours um, before he's arrested and the, the whole crucifixion thing happens. And But here's the thing. As John tells the story in the book of John, he, after Jesus finishes his prayer, he's arrested. Okay, so he goes over to the garden to pray. When he's done praying, he's arrested. That's when the, the guards and everyone shows up to arrest him. So here's my question. If you, if you knew that you only had an hour, because literally within an hour he's been arrested. If you knew you only had an hour um, before you're gone forever, what would you pray for? Now, I think for many of us, we'd be praying for those who we're going to leave behind. Our kids, grandkids, your family, the things that we try to control with our life if, as if we could. But we realize, God, we really need you because I'm not going to be here, so we're going to be praying for them. I think that would be a pretty natural response for, for many of us. And really, that's exactly what Jesus prayed for. We see this in John chapter 17. Jesus says, as he's praying, he says, my prayer is not, talking in his prayer, he says, my prayer is not that you take them, his disciples, his closest followers, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So I'm not going to be here, protect them, keep them safe while I am gone. Jesus asked God, his father, to protect his followers. But, but Jesus didn't stop there. That wasn't the end of the prayer. Jesus, looking into the future, added to his prayer. He goes on to say, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That's us. We are the descendants. We are the fruit of that. So he's, he's talking about us. I pray that they, all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' final prayer was that his followers would be known by their unity. I think that's really pretty cool. Now, it also reinforces what Jesus had said multiple times early on in his ministry. This wasn't the first time this idea came about. Early on, even in the book of John, we notice in John 13, Jesus says, by this, their unity, their relationship with one another, the ability to love one another, by this, you will know, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Unity was a big deal to Jesus. He talked about it throughout his ministry and was the very last thing he prayed for before his crucifixion. Now, Jesus wasn't the only one to give priority to this idea of unity. Paul, following the lead of Jesus, 
He also spoke about the priority of unity as well. In Ephesians, his letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4, he said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. What does that suggest to you? I don't know about you. For me, it suggests that it's not always easy. Make every effort. I mean, that, that tells me it's not easy all the time. But it also suggests to me that it's worth the effort. That what Paul is saying here is just, hey, just kind of get through it. You know, manage it. No, he's like, no, 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 this is important. Make every effort. That, that there's something there. There's some value in that effort and that it's not easy, but it's something you should do and pursue. <clears throat> um, one of my most valued, treasured possessions growing up uh, was a 10-speed bike. And uh, I had, I, for, I was, I forget exactly how old I was, maybe 10, 11 years old. But I prayed hard and long. For me, it seemed like years. Uh, it probably was more weeks, if not maybe a month or so. But I prayed for that bike, and I did projects to earn money. I saved money. Every, I didn't spend any money on anything except for trying to save to get this bike. And if I was able to get it, I loved that bike. I was one of my favorite possessions growing up. Now, you can probably think back in your own life. Something that you wanted wasn't easy to get, was took effort. You know, maybe it was, maybe you had your own bike or maybe a car or maybe a college degree or there's something that took time and money and effort and you worked hard, you sacrificed. And when you got it, it was like, oh, this is so cool. You know, there's just a sense of fulfillment, of gratification and reward that is just so well earned. Again, significant time and energy and money was put into this, but it was so worth it. You were so glad you did what you did. And that's what Paul's telling us here about unity. That's what he's talking about. Make every effort. Make every effort to keep unity and to keep the peace. It's not easy, but you absolutely must have it. Paul tells us we are charged to work for unity. <clears throat> Another aspect of the priority of unity is that we are called to work in unity. So we're charged to work for it, but we're also called to work in it. Um, yesterday, um, we hosted a baby shower at our house for our daughter. Actually, Betsy is, is still there because um, our kids and granddaughter are there. We actually have out-of-town guests um, that are still there. Some, and we actually have people that we hadn't seen in 10 years. Um, and so it was, it was a really big deal. And uh, it had, um, um, had a Winnie the Pooh theme to it, for those of you who care about those things. But not the, new, the, not the Disney Winnie the Pooh, the old 100-acre woods Winnie the Pooh. So it had that. And I understand there's a difference. I don't get it. But... Um, they went all out on, de on de um, decorations and different food things. I mean, all the napkins had Winnie the Pooh thing, and there was a table runner that had to be made. I figure I glued over a thousand popsicle sticks together to make these little honeycomb shapes. So they had kind of the six sides um, to these, and. I mean, we had this balloon arch that I blew up over 100 balloons, had a hand pump, and I blew up over 100 balloons of those. Um, and so Friday night, you know, I'm, we're blowing up the balloons and we're making this, this arch type of thing. And, and uh, 
honestly, but it's about 10 o'clock, and I'm tired. I'm irritable. I'm, I'm just like, and Betsy asked me to do something. I think I actually said no. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, it wasn't a defiant no, like, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, everyone in the room knew I was going to eventually do it. Okay, you know, so it wasn't that. It was, it was just one of these tired, no, I, I just, I'm done. I don't want to do it. My daughter-in-law, Amy, to her credit, um, she says, and I'm paraphrasing her, but she, she, she kind of looked at me and goes, no is not an option. <laughs> she says, when it comes to family, it's all hands on deck. And I was like, I love that. I love that. It's no is not an option. You don't have a choice in the matter, is what she was saying. And she was right. She was right. The family was working together, and each one of us had a role to play. Each one of us had a part in making this day uh, the success that it was to be. I think that's the idea that Paul was trying to get across when he compared the group of Christ followers to a body. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Every individual in the body of Christ is significant and has a role to fulfill. To function effectively, we need each other. Saying no is not an option. Now, you might ask, what's the big deal about unity? You know, why can't we just bail on relationships and find another one that's more to my liking? Or if not bail out, why can't I just avoid them, ignore them, and hopefully not cross their path? And why can't I just be indifferent about them? Am I right? Isn't that what we think? Well, I think there is some things that, again, the, the Bible, I think, talks to us about that. One of the things I've discovered is that unity attracts God's favor and brings his anointing. King David, in, in the Psalm 133, he says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Okay? Then he goes on to say, It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing and even life forevermore. Now, the, the distance of time and culture, we don't get the oil in the head thing. All right? I mean, really, I, I'm reading this like pouring oil in the head, and I'm like, how long does it take to clean that up? Or how many times does he have to wash his hair? To, to Okay, so we don't, we don't do that these days. We don't take literally oil, olive oil, and pour it on someone's head to the point that it, not just a few drops. You know, it's not just we wipe it on their forehead like we do today. No, they poured it out so it ran down. It talks about running it down his beard. I mean, this is, this is significant quantity of oil that's happening here. So part of us is like, all right, I don't know that I even want that. Okay, so why would I want what comes with it, if that's what we're talking about here? So let me give you a little context. Oil on the head signified anointing by God. You were chosen by God. He mentions Aaron. Aaron was the chief priest. When he was consecrated before God, when God, God said, I want you to do this. Aaron's the one I've chosen. 
As a way to signify that, that the oil anointing there was poured on him. The reality was for them in this culture, this was a sacred moment. This was huge. This was a sacred moment. This was, this was the way God affirmed Aaron that he had been called and chosen. So to have oil poured on your head was a sign of affirmation. It was a good thing. Um, they didn't worry about getting the oil stain out of the clothes later. Um, they didn't worry about cleaning up the mess and where the oil fell. This was in the moment. This is what God was doing in this moment. It meant that God was with the person. And so when, and when he talks about the oil running down in his beard and on his clothes, what they did is it symbolized abundance. It wasn't just a couple of drops on his head. This was an abundance of God's blessing, abundance of God's flavor, flavor, abundance of God's favor. God's people living together in unity opens up for all what God might have for us. That's what, it's, that's what he's saying here. When we live together in unity, it opens us up for all that God might have, an abundance of God's favor and blessing. Similarly, Unity opens the way for the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and number, the third point in your outline there, unity brings health as it individuals value one another and care for one another. In Acts chapter 2, we see some very cool things happening among the Christ followers. <clears throat> in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Really, some really special things, some really cool things were happening there. And we're going to look at this in much more detail next week. Okay, so next week we're going to unwrap this, this uh, segment a little bit more. So let me just say, lastly, unity becomes a living testimony of the saving and transforming power of Jesus. So again, we're asking, answering the question, all right, why is this such a big deal? Why can't we just avoid them? Why can't I just go find other relationships I like? Why, do, why should I work for unity with the people who are in my life now? Lastly, because unity becomes a living testimony of the saving and transforming power of Jesus. <clears throat> and John, back to John 17, as Jesus was in the garden praying, as he was wrapping up his prayer, he says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I mean, think about that. This is, will be the defining characteristic. This will be the one that everyone will see. This, then the world will know. <clears throat> um, so we're talking about unity today, and actually next week, when we, we, again, we're going to talk uh, Acts chapter 2. We're going to unwrap a little bit more. So we've got a, kind of a two-week series where we're talking about unity. We've created a graphic for this week. Erica, can you put up just the graphic? Now, it's, if you, I don't know if you know anything about this, but this actually was kind of taken off, uh, kind of an idea that we got from a Japanese art form called Kintsugi. Any of you familiar with this? Can you have the next picture, Erica? So, Kintsugi is the Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces back together with gold. Now, it wasn't always real gold, but it was a gold powder, goldish powder, mixed in with some kind of a lacquer. But it was built on the idea that embracing flaws and imperfections, you can create an even stronger, more beautiful piece of art. It treats breakage and repair as part of the history of the object rather than something to disguise. I love that. Every break is unique 
And instead of repairing an item like new, this 400-year-old technique actually highlights the scars as part of the design. When something is damaged, it means it has a story and it actually becomes more beautiful because it reflects that it was useful, it was purposeful, and that actually has become much more significant. So it actually can become a metaphor that sometimes in the process of repairing things that have broken, we actually create something more unique, more beautiful, and even more resilient, even better than it was before which is so opposite of what we tend to think. We tend to think because we have flaws and imperfections, we need to hide those and disguise those. And we just say, no, 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 that's part of your story. Now, it doesn't mean you need to wear them out there for everyone to see, but you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to worry about those. That's part of what God has done. What a great analogy for what Jesus does for us. He puts the broken pieces of our lives back together in such a way that we're now more valuable to him than we were before. Now, one of the principles of Kintsugi is the practice of togetherness. It's this idea of being together. Each of the pieces from this piece of pottery is needed to make the bowl whole again. You can't just discard one. You need all of them to be together. Similarly, as I look at this, I see that it's part of the body of Christ. As part of the faith community, that's Grace Covenant. You're needed if we're to be complete as God intended. You're one of those pieces of the bowl. And we together are only functional as where we are together. So Jesus takes these imperfect, broken pieces, and he becomes the glue that holds everything together. He is what unites us and keeps us. <clears throat> God takes imperfect people, and he bonds us together in unity. And as a result, not only are we transformed, but those around us are transformed as well. So I'm going to wrap up my time here with just one question for you. Are you willing to work for and commit yourself to living in unity with those God has brought into your life? Your answer to that question isn't trivial. You need to think about it. I'm telling you, the people of Statesville are waiting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so very much we thank you that you have called us to unity. And as Paul has talked about, that this isn't easy. It's not something that even always comes natural. Sometimes because of our differences in personalities, our difference in what we prefer in life and how we view things, sometimes, Father, it just seems like there's oil and water that we don't mix. But yet, Lord, we know that in you, because of Jesus, you've called us to be together. So help us to see one another as parts of the bigger picture. Lord, I pray that for some of us as we're here this morning, we're conscious of relationships, uh, maybe that they're broken, the pieces are kind of laying on the table. Father, help us to put through Jesus to be able to restore those pieces again. Father, give us the courage to initiate conversations that need to be had. Lord, give us the courage to, um, to, to step forward, to not just be indifferent, to not ignore to actually deal with these things and with these issues head on with the hope and even with the expectation of restoration that unity would be restored and Father as a body as well I pray and ask that uh, you would continue to guide and direct us Lord as, uh, Lord as I look around this room we have so many amazing amazing gifted talented people who just bring so many things to the table just because of who they are, 
and their history, their past, some of the things that I know were painful, some of the things are hurtful, some of the things are difficult and challenging, but all of those have made them to be who they are today. Wonderful, beautiful, amazing children of God. So Lord, together, together, we have the opportunity to do some really cool things. Lord, and even the people of Statesville will know of you because of what they see in us. So, Father, again, I just pray for healing where it needs to happen. I pray for wholeness. Father, we pray for unity. And, uh, Lord, we do so in the name of your Son, Jesus. <clears throat> Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.